through chapter 4, The Witch's Headstone. There was a witch buried at the end of the graveyard. It was common knowledge. Bod had been told to keep away from the corner of the world by Mrs. Owens as far back as he could remember. Why? he asked. Taint healthy for a living body, said Mrs. Owens. There's damp down that end of things. It's practically a marsh. You'll catch your death. Mr. Owens himself was more evasive and less imaginative. It's not a good place, was all he said. The graveyard proper ended at the bottom of west side of the hill beneath the old apple tree with a, small, with a fence of rust brown iron railings, each topped with a small rusting spearhead. But there was a wasteland beyond that, a mass of nettles and weeds, of brambles and automobile rubbish, and Bod, who was, on the whole, obedient, did not push between the railings, but he went down there and looked through. He knew he wasn't being told the whole story, and it irritated him. Bod went back up to the hill, to the little chapel near the entrance to the graveyard, and he waited until it got dark. As twilight edged from the grey to the purple, there was a noise in the spire, like a fluttering of heavy velvet, and Silas left resting place in the belfry and clambered headfirst down the spire. "'What's in the far corner of the graveyard?' asked Bod. "'Past Harrison Westwood, baker of this parish, and his wives, Marion and Joan. "'Why do you ask?' said his guardian, brushing the dust from his black suit with iry fingers. Bod shrugged, just wondered. It's unconcentrated ground, said Silas. Do you know what that means? Not really, said Bod. Silas walked across the path without disturbing a fallen leaf and sat down on the bench beside Bod. There are those, he said in a silken voice, who believe that all land is sacred, that it is sacred before we come to it and sacred after. But here, in your land, they're blessed, the churches and the ground they set aside to bury people in, to make it holy. But they left land, unconcentrated, beside the sacred ground. Potter's fields to bury the criminals and the suicides, or those who were not of the faith. So the people buried in the ground on the other side of the fence are bad people. Silas raised one perfect eyebrow. Mm. Oh, not at all. Let's see, it's been a while since I've been down that way. But I don't remember anyone particular evil. Remember in the days gone by, you could be hang, hung for stealing a shilling. And there are always people who fire in their lives that become so unstable, they believe the best thing they could do would be to hasten their transition to another place of existence. They kill themselves, you mean? Said Bod. He was about eight years old, wide-eyed, inquisitive, and he was not stupid. Indeed. Does it work? Are they happier dead? Sometimes, mostly no. It's like the people who believe they're happy if they go and live somewhere else. But you who learn, it doesn't work that way. Wherever you go, you take yourself with, if you see what I mean. Sort of, said Bod. Silas reached down and ruffled the boy's hair. Boy said, what about the witch? Yes, exactly, said Silas. Suicides, criminals and witches, those who died unshriven. He stood up at midnight. Shadow in the twilight. All this talking, he said, and I've not even had my breakfast. While you'll be late for our lessons. In the twilight of the graveyard, there was a silent implosion, a flutter of velvet darkness, and Silas was gone. The moon had begun to rise by the time Bod reached Mr. Pennyworth's uh, and Thomas Pennyworth, here he lies in the certainty of moth glorious resurrection, was already waiting and was not in the best of moods. You are late, he said. Sorry, Mr. Pennyworth. Pennyworth tutted. The previous week, Mr. Pennyworth had been teaching Bod about elements and humours, and Bod had kept forgetting which was which. 
He was expecting a test, but instead Mr. Pennyworth said, I think it is time to spend a few days on practical matters. Time is passing after all. Is it? asked Pod. I'm afraid so, young Master Owens. Now how is your feeding? Pod had hoped he would be asked that question. It's all right, he said. I mean, you know. No, Master Owens, I do not know. Why do you not demonstrate for me? Bod's heart sank. He took a deep breath and did his best squinching up his eyes and trying to fade away. Mr. Pennyworth was not impressed. Pah, that's not kind of thing. Not that kind of thing at all. Slipping and fading, boy, the way of the dead. Slip through the shadows, fade from awareness. Try again. Bod tried harder. You're as plain as the nose on your face, said Mr. Pennyworth, and your nose is remarkably obvious, as is the rest of your face, young man. As are you, for the sake of all that is holy, empty your mind now. You are an empty alleyway. You are a vacant doorway. You are nothing. Eyes will not see you. Minds will not hold you. Where you are is nothing and nobody. Bod tried again. He closed his eyes and imagined himself fading into the stained stonework of the Massillon wall, becoming a shadow on the night and nothing more. He sneezed. Dreadful, said Mr. Pennyworth with a sigh. Quite dreadful. I believe I shall have a word with your guardian about this. He shook his head. So the humours list them. Um, sanguine, chlorotic, phlegmatic, and the other one, um, melancholic, I think. And so it went until it was time for grammar and composition with Miss Letita Burroughs, spinster of the parish, who did not harm, did not man, all the days of her life. Reader, can you say likewise? Bud liked Mrs. Burroughs and the coziness of her little crypt, and that she could all too easily be let off the subject. They say there's a witch in the unconsecrated ground, he said. Yes, dear, but you do not want to go over there. Why not? Miss Burroughs smiled the gilness of smile of the dead. They, are sort, they aren't our sort of people, she said. But it is graveyard, isn't it? I mean, I'm allowed to go there if I want to. That, said Miss Burroughs, would not be advisable. Bob was obedient, but curious, and so when lessons were done for the night, he walked past Harrison Westwood, Baker, and Family's Memorial, a broken-armed angel, but did not climb down the hill to the potter's field. Instead, he walked up the side of the hill to where a picnic some 30 years before had left its mark in the shape of a large apple tree. There were some lessons that Bod had mastered. He had eaten a belly full of unripe apples, sour and white pipped from that tree some years before, and had regretted it for days, his guts cramping and painful while Mrs. Owens lectured him on what, what to eat. Now he always waited until the apples were ripe before eating them, and never ate more than two apples, two or three a night. He had finished the last of the apples the week before, but he liked the apple tree as much a place to think. He edged up to the trunk to his favourite place in the crook of the two branches and looked down on the potter's field below him, a bramble patch of weeds and unmown grass in the moonlight. He wondered whether the witch would be old or iron-toothed and travel in a house on chicken legs, or whether she would be thin and sharp-nosed and carry a broomstick. Bod's stomach growled and he realised that he was getting hungry. He wished he had devoured all the apples on the tree. That, he had left just one. He glanced up and thought he saw something. He looked once, looked twice, to be certain, an apple, a red and ripe. Bod prided himself on these tree-climbing skills. He swung himself up, branch by branch, and imagined he was Silas swarming smoothly up a sheer brick wall. The apple, the red of it, almost black in the moonlight, hung just out of reach. Bod moved slowly forward along the branch until he was just below the apple. Then he stretched up, and the tips of his fingers touched the perfect apple. He was never to taste it. 
It snapped loud as the hunter's gun and the branch gave way beneath him. A flash of pain woke him, sharp as ice, the colour of slow thunder, down in the weeds that summer's night. The ground beneath him seemed relatively soft, still oddly warm. He pushed a hand down and felt something like a warm fur beneath him. He had landed on the grass pile where the graveyard's groundskeeper threw the cuttings from the mower and had broken his fall. Still, there was a pain in his chest and his leg hurt as if he had landed on its first and twisted it. Bod moaned. Hush, hush, boy, said a voice from behind him. Where did you come from, dropping like a thunderstone? What is why I carry on? I was in the apple tree, said Bod. Ah, let me see your leg. Broken like a tree's limb, I'll be bound. Cool fingers prodded his left leg. Not broken, twisted, yes, sprained perhaps. You have the devil's own luck, boy, falling in the compost. Taint the end of the world. Oh, good, said Bod. Hurts, though. He turned his head and looked up behind him. She was older than him, but had not a grown-up, and she looked neither friendly nor unfriendly. Wary, mostly. She had a face that was intelligent, not even a little bit beautiful. I'm Bod, he said. The live boy, she asked. Bod nodded. I thought you must be, she said. We've heard of you over here in the potter's field. What do they call you? Owens, he said. Nobody Owens. Bod for short. Howdy do, young master Bod. Bod looked her up and down. She wore a plain white shift. Her hair was mousy and long and there was something about of the goblin in her face. A sideways hint of a smile that seemed to linger, no matter what the rest of her face was doing. Were you a suicide? he asked. Did you steal a shilling? Never sold nothing, she said. Not even a handkerchief. Anyway, she said pertly, the suicide is all over there on the other side of the hawthorn, and the gallows birds are in the blackberry patch, both of them. One was a coiner, the other a highwayman, or so he says, although if you ask me, I doubt he was more than a common footpad or a nightwalker. Ah, said Bod. Then suspicion forming, tentatively, he said, they say a witch is buried here. She nodded, drowned and burned and buried here without as much as a stone to mark the spot. You were drowned and burnt. She settled down on the hill of grass cuttings beside him, and he held his throbbing leg with his chilly hands. They came to my little cottage at dawn, before I'm proper awake, and drags me out into the green. You're a witch, they shouts, fat and fresh scrubbed all pink in the morning like so many pig wiggings scrubbed clean for market day. One by one, they gets beneath the sky and tells the milk gone sour and horses gone lame. And finally, Mistress Jemima gets up the fattest, pinkest, best scrubbed of them all and tells how Solomon Porrick now cuts her dead and instead hangs around the wash house like a wasp about a honey pot. And it's all my magic, she says. But that made him so, and the poor young man must be bespelled. So they strap me to the cuckling stool and forces it under the water of the duck pond, saying, if I'm a witch, I'll neither drown nor care. But if I'm not a witch, I'll feel it. And Mistress Jemima Father gives them each a silver groat to hold the stool down under the foul green water for a long time to see if I'd choke on it. And did you? Oh, yes. Got a long full of water. It done for me. Oh, said Bod. Then you weren't a witch, for after all, the girl fixed him with beady ghost eyes and smiled a lopsided smile and still looked like a goblin. But now she looked like a pretty goblin. Bod didn't think she would have needed magic to attract Solomon Porrick. Not with a smile like that. What nonsense, of course, I was a witch. They learnt that until they untied me from the cockling stool and stretched me on the green, nine parts dead and all covered with duckweed and stinking podmuck, a podmuck. I rolled my eyes back in my head and I cursed each and every one of them on the village green that morning that none of them would ever rest easily in a grave. I was surprised at how easily it came, the cursing. Like dancing it was, when your feet pick up the steps of a new measure your ears have never heard and your head don't know, and they dance until dawn. 
She stood and twirled and kicked and flashed bare flashed bare feet flashed in the moonlight. That powers cursed them with my last gurgling pond water breath, and then I expired. They burned my body on the green until I was nothing but blackened charcoal, and they popped me in a hole in the potter's field without so much of a headstone to mark my name. It was only then she paused and seemed for a moment wistful. Are any of them buried in the graveyard then? asked Bod. Not a one, said the girl with a twinkle. The Saturday after they drowned and toasted me, a carpet was delivered to Master Poringo all the way from London town. It was a fine carpet, but it all turned out there were more in that carpet than strong wool and good weaving for it. <laughs>